Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 344 of the Talking Comics podcast. Why am I st- Why? <laughs> I am your host, Shush. I am your host, Steve Say. Joining me this week is Mr. Bob Ryer. Happy birthday, Joey. Mr. Joey Ricchino, the birthday boy, is also in the house. Thank you, brethren. <laughs> Okay, and returning after several weeks absence, Ms. Melissa Megan. Happy birthday oh. to you. Oh, thank you. Oh, I think we're going to keep going with it. That was no, great. that's all I got. That was awesome. But I just used up all the sexy in me. In that, those words right there. <laughs> I almost just sprayed my rum punch all over the wall. Here. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome, birthday boy. Yeah, thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Okay. This is a comic book podcast. Off to a very rocky start, but that's how we like it. So, uh, this week on the podcast, we are going to celebrate that Melissa is back with us. We are also going to talk some Luke Cage season two. Luke Cage, Power Man. Yeah, so um, we will definitely talk non-spoilers first and then we will give you a warning for those of you who have not seen it. Uh, I don't think we're going to go like super in-depth seeing as I think only two of us uh, have made it through the season. So we'll try to keep it a little light for y'all, but there's at least a few things that we're going to have to discuss uh, of course we have lightning rounds we have a little bit of open discussion and uh some of your fine feathered listener questions <laughs> at the end of the show i gotta say um i put out the call for questions yesterday afternoon and you all just like ransacked us with some really amazing questions mm. so what i've done is i've collected them all and we're going to kind of spread the love over the next couple of weeks and cover them um, a little bit at a time, like, you know, three, four per show, something like that. Uh, some of them are really good and actually require like a bit of research and thought. Sometimes asking on a Monday when we record Tuesdays yeah. is not the best option, but it's also a busy Twitter day. So, you know, whatever. Uh, that's how that works. I cast 20 characters in the 1966 Batman show wouldn't play at four o'clock on a Tuesday. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, if you don't hear your question, this podcast, do not fear. We will get to it very soon. So anyway, um, I want to 
kick the podcast off officially by handing the talking stick over to Bob uh, because we... One of our listeners made a very, very uh, sweet gesture. Uh, so, Bob, would you please take it away? Yes, I'm going to first off just say a huge Talking Comics thanks to our listener, Carl Winthrop. Uh, he, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this too. I got a phone call from James from down at Androids Comics, who said to me, well, he left a message on my crazy answering machine. I called him back and he said, well, I like your machine, but you've got mail. <laughs> what, what, is this the movie? No, you've got a package here. Someone has sent you a package. So I go down to Androids and there is this, this envelope. In it is five copies of the DVD of I Kill Giants with a, with a thank you inside from Carl. Thanks. Because of you and the podcast, I found this powerful story. Add this to your library or feel free to share it further. Keep up the good work. All the best, Carl Winthrop. Right on. Yeah. Thanks, Carl. That's, yeah, that's really sweet. That's, that's really nice. It's an amazing gesture. And as we've all loved this story, and I guess our love for it translated, and Carl, that's paying it forward. It really is. It is greatly, greatly appreciated. And... They will all find good homes either within our own libraries or to someone who needs to have them. We're going to sort all that out as we go. Indeed. But Indeed. What a wonderful film and a, and a great book. And you're a fabulous listener. Thank you, Carl. Yeah, thank you very much, ma'am. Yay, Carl. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Seriously appreciate that. And uh, while we're on the topic, I just want to send a, a shout out to everybody for listening to the show we have gotten a lot of like positive feedback and i think the the show is like starting to get tossed around a little bit more these days and we're reaching out we're seeing new people in the comments and new people asking questions and everything and um have in general just gotten a couple of comments thrown my way about people liking like the positivity of the show and the inclusiveness of the show and things like that and um I just want you to know that from us that it's, you know, we appreciate everybody taking the time to to say something nice. It never goes, you know, unheard or unappreciated. Mm -hmm. We really take it to heart uh, that, you know, we put this out there every week and people look forward to it and enjoy it. It still blows my mind to this day that like there are people that, you know, want to hear what we have to say about <laughs> these things. And um, some people that have been with us for, you know, like six years going and it, it's just it's wild. It's really wild. And so thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Enough of the mushy stuff. Melissa. Yeah. Hi. Hi. I would like I missed you, you guys. Missed you too. You too. Uh, I would like you to tell everyone what you thought. Of Incredibles 2. I thought it was delightful. I think I might like it better than the first, in fact. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, um, Well, I will put it out there and say that the Incredibles, the first one, is not um not like it probably in my top three or four favorite Pixar films. Um, so you know, it's not really a super high bar for me. Um, but probably also uh, feel a little bit differently seeing the Incredibles 2 now that I'm a parent and seeing it with my kid. Yeah. Which has a little bit of a different impact than seeing it as a 
as a grown adult who doesn't have kids and just enjoys animated movies. Um, no, I thought we're draw a line in the sand. Yeah, you weirdos who watch animated movies without kids. Damn right, <laughs> and it, you know what? It's glorious. <laughs> nice and quiet. I mean, I, I I've always watched them before I had a kid, so I was that person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, no, I thought it was really, really fabulous. Um, we had a great time seeing it. There were lots of kids in the theater and everybody was having a good time. Um, it was, uh, it was really, it was super cute. Um, yeah, it it was a super fun movie. I loved everything about it. My kid was Dash for, um, you know, 12 hours after that, which I didn't appreciate a whole lot, but, (laughs) um, yeah. Did you wash your hands with soap? (laughs) (laughs) It was it was fabulous. It was really funny. I love the the scene um with um what is her name? The designer, the clothing designer. Edna Edna, Edna, yeah. With Edna when she the baby gets dumped off with Edna. Um and she realizes that this baby's gonna be super fun and she wants (laughs) Please (laughs) more. Yeah, it's adorable. It's really adorable, and I'm I'm looking forward to watching it again. I'm a big Pixar fan in general, so mm. the Incredible Two's the Incredibles Two has been like moved up pretty far into my top list for Pixar now. Okay. Yeah. I have yet to see it. You gotta see it, man. I know, man. There's this magical thing in the world called time, <laughs> of which I have very little these days um we probably could have seen it lauren visit us this past weekend uh we probably could have gone to the movies but we just laid low and watched luke cage and luke built cage, like Bridget. gigantic lego sets so you had some time <laughs> you know we see where the incredibles 2 is yeah. on your priority i mean I, watching- I, yeah luke cage takes a while yeah we were watching luke cage we watched 13 hours of marvel yeah was, uh you know and it wasn't and so, like it wasn't like Daredevil season one or Jessica Jones season one where you could just bang that out. Like Luke Cage took some time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so we'll have uh, we'll have some more about Luke Cage a little later. I think we should get started with some lightning rounds. Uh, Melissa, would you like to go first since uh, you haven't been around for a little while? Sure. I'm probably going to go over this week because I have a lot of books. (laughs) All right. Um, I'm going to put five minutes on the clock for you anyway, and we'll see what happens. I'll be as quick as I can. (laughs) All right. Ready? Okay. Go. All right. So first, we're going to start with the big one, uh, Infidel. I read number two through four. I had to catch up on it. Um, this is an image comic series with writing by Pornchak Picochet. Picochet. Oh, damn it. I messed it up. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pornchak. I was practicing. Piece of shot. And I'm piece of show. Uh, art by Aaron Campbell. Color and editing by Jose Villarubia. And letters by Jeff Powell. Uh, it's a haunted house story for the 21st century. Infidel follows an American Muslim woman and her multiracial neighbors who move into a building haunted by entities that feed off xenophobia. After reading issue number one of the series, I had a feeling something good was building, and the premise of using racism and cultural fear to build terror in a story has proven powerful before. Hello, Get Out. 
I had no idea that this story would build quite so fast and so intensely as it has. After catching up to the current issue of number four, I can confidently say that Infidel is one of the most unique and terrifying horror comics being written right now, in Mm. no small part thanks to legit, shocking, artistic representations of angry spirits out to maim and kill the living. This series is heavy-hitting, genuinely scary, and worth every damn penny. It's definitely a trade collector for me. Um... The second one I want to talk about is Delta 13. I read issue number one and two. It's a new sci-fi story, sci-fi horror series from IDW featuring writing by the great Steve Niles and art by Nat Jones. I've been reading Steve Niles works for a very long time and I couldn't recall having ever seen him cover a straight sci-fi story before. So this really piqued my interest. Uh, It's a very classic space tale of a crew just minding their own business, dropping exploratory robo-spiders like they're paid to do when they have to make an emergency dive straight into an asteroid tunnel. An asteroid that isn't supposed to be there and appears very suddenly. After their robo-spider is sent out to explore the tunnel and doesn't return, the crew make the old let's-go-see-what-happened bad decision, (laughs) setting up a great start to the horror part of this story. Add a seemingly unconscious hitchhiker to the mix, and you've got a setup for some good space scares. If I weren't so familiar with Niall's ability to write surprises into a seemingly familiar narrative, I'd say Delta 13 runs the risk of feeling stale. It probably won't, but will instead soon go off the rails and take us somewhere weird and unexpected, because that's what Steve Niles does. The art here is appropriately claustrophobic, dark, and uncomfortable, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of the series. Uh, My next one, talk about dark and uncomfortable, is Gideon Falls, (laughs) number three and four. Uh, This is written by Jeff Lemire, and the art is by Andrea Sorrentino. Gideon Falls has been anxiously anticipated by many, and it's not failed to deliver something special so far. I talked about it back when number one came out, and I love how Lemire got right down to business in the series, leaving no doubts that it would be creepy as all hell. It's a rural mystery, an urban horror in one, a character-driven meditation on obsession, mental illness, and faith. In these latest issues, the reclusive Norton is feeling the pressure to protect himself after his lab was broken into and evidence he's been collecting to find the randomly appearing and scary black barn was stolen. His psychologist now believes his crazy rambles about the barn, and she is herself in danger. Back in Gideon Falls, Father Fred is trying to work what's happening in his new community and how he can uphold his responsibility to the people in it without being the next body found lying in a field outside the previously mentioned black barn. He and the sheriff are getting to know one another better and together discover a new messy crime scene. The series reads like somebody mashed up an episode of the X-Files with channel zero. If you're looking for a complex and unsettling series, this is definitely one of the best ones. Um, okay. Now I've got ask for mercy. It's an indie piece from a publisher called Comicraft. It's written by Richard Starkings and art by Abigail Hill Harding. It's an action-packed and artistically stunning dark fantasy story and a solid first issue. Mercy is a real estate agent snatched from her own place and time to join a team of monster hunters who are actually monsters themselves. And together they have to take on a pantheon of hideous creatures summoned to our world by Nazi evil. (laughs) Nazi evil. This story already feels fun and full of personality and personalities, quickly establishing several characters from a strange other world of shapeshifters. The art is a standout for me. It's sophisticated and impressive, considering Abigail Harding is apparently making her debut in comics here. 
I really love the way she works lines and colors together in a way that always lets you know which details you should be noticing and which panels. It's often soft and dreamlike, then suddenly sharp and intrusive. The series is a part of the Comixology Limited line, and it's only available digitally via Comixology or Kindle. And one more. The Lost City of Explorers. It's a new adventure series from Aftershock Comics. It's written by Zach Kaplan, art by Alvaro Saraseca, colors by Chris Blythe, and letters by Troy Pateri. Uh, Lost cities aren't just the stuff of myths. They exist hidden right under our noses. When a mysterious expedition is disrupted by supernatural activity and an antiques professor goes missing, his teenage daughter and her friends become underground explorers. Following his tracks on a coming-of-age journey through subterranean tunnels and ultimately find the holy grail of lost cities, Atlantis, buried right under New York City. This series has a lot of fun playing with ideas of science fiction and archaeology, along with a reluctant young group brought together in their shared drive to save someone they love. This debut issue seems to be getting a few things right. Diversity in their characters, uh, depth of plot, a struggle to get by that feels real, and beautifully layered artwork. It feels like the Abyss versus the Goonies so far, and I'm all in for that. Mm. The yeah, Abyss. I, Go ahead, uh, Bob. I enjoyed the heck out of this one, Melissa. I'm glad you selected this. It is, just as you say, that classic sort of lost world story, and it gets turned on its head really quickly as we go from who you're not knowing anything jumping in, who I thought were the leads in the book, the archaeologist and his crew, and things go wildly wrong. And we pick up with Hell and Maddie and, and her crew, and that change-up really brought the dynamic way, way up into something really special. I, and the, there was humor, there was heart, artwork was amazing. Great, great book. I'm really loving this one. Yay. Yeah. I also read Delta Wild. <laughs> I love Steve Niles, man. He's one of the best. But um, yes. I really love the artwork on it. I thought it was so simple. Um, and it had that kind of grayscale blue wash going on. And then when those sirens go off and things turn red, it is red. And you know stuff is about to go down. It was really cool. Really, really kind of straightforward story. Just to like build on what you said, though, that kind of classic crew, let's go investigate what's the worst that could happen. <laughs> I just want to point out that in true Aliens fashion, it's all the dudes on the ship that are like, what's the worst yeah. that could happen? And the one woman is like, guys, this is the dumbest thing ever. We shouldn't do this. Yeah. And they're like, no, what's up? Blah, 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 blah. Like, that's She's exactly like, I'll what... stay on the ship yeah, that's and what... watch you guys through the camera. <laughs> Ripley's the same way and all the new alien stuff, too. It's like... It's the woman says, guys, let's not freaking do this. And then they do it. And what happens? What happens? Yeah. I, I think in any in any story about um, space, especially if it's meant to be a horror story, like you really have to get that sense of claustrophobia and darkness. Right. Yeah. You know, and some 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 people don't. Some artists kind of get it very like messy and scribbly all over the place and it doesn't work. But right. this one does. There needs to be a lot of empty space and a lot of like heaviness to it. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Sounds good to me. Let's see. Who should go next? I think I'll go next. Nice. Yeah. Switch it Ooh. up a little bit. Okay. Put five minutes on the clock. 
myself. I gotta change the ringtone. I don't like it. It's stupid. <laughs> Make it no right. doubt. Just a girl. Oh, that would be perfect. I'll or do don't it. speak. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll count five minutes and I'll go. Don't speak. I know what you say. Yes, please. Can we do this on every show? Don't tell me it hurts. Don't tell me it hurts. La 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 la. All right. Put five minutes on the clock. No shame. Go. Okay. So. There is a really sweet comic. I'm going to call it John 2. It is a web comic by Gail Galligan. It is a short but sweet comic that finds cartoonist John Arbuckle attending his first Comic-Con as a guest artist. It's a fish-out-of-water story that humanizes John by placing him in the belly of the beast of one of the industry's largest public events. Uh, as he observes the con around him, John strikes up a cordial friendship with his neighboring female artist. Uh, together, they discuss their respective places and ambitions in the wide world of comics, and John learns a few tricks of the trade from his new friend. As the comic progresses, John sells a few books, but is ultimately passed up by many looking for bigger and better fish among the alley. That is until a young girl of about nine finds him at the con, and then... Niagara Falls, Frankie. Niagara Falls. Slowly I turn. Yes. It gets very real very quickly. And you start like flashbacking to the days of Garfield and what you know of John versus what John becomes like as a person in this comic. And it's just wild and and made my heart go pitter-pat. I thought it was wonderful. Um, I really loved it. It hit me right in the feels. As I've said on the show before, I grew up with and learned how to read by way of Jim Davis's Garfield. So uh, this was something really special for me. The art here is delightful. Galligan's art style uh, is like if Jim Davis grew up watching anime and reading manga. I love that it continues the relationship between John and Liz, something I've always hoped would come to be. And for me, it's just a real feel-good comic. Uh, If you have a love for Garfield, I wholeheartedly recommend that you read this. Uh, We can put a link to it in the show notes uh, on the website if you want to go and check it out. It's only a couple of pages, but you'd be surprised at at where it goes. And and it just, uh, talk about like a couple of pages done just right. To, to hit you right in the heart and uh, change the way you think about a character that you've known for like over 20 years. Um, all right. And my other book for this week is from boom box. And that is fence numbers one through seven written by CS Picat, uh, art by Joanna, the mad yeah. colors by Joanna La Fuente and letters by Jim Campbell. Yeah. Fence follows the rise of 16-year-old outsider Nicholas in the world of competitive fencing at an elite boys' school. There's drama. There's danger. Fencing rivalries and at least two different forms of swordplay. Presented in a style akin to sports manga and anime. Like, that oh, I can't sexy. pronounce it. It is a little bit. <laughs> Uh, Kuroku No Basket, Slam Dunk, and Yumi on I- Yuri on Ice 
Uh, Fence had my attention from the very first issue, and damn it, I can't believe that I have to wait a whole month for to find out what the hell's going on. So the book focuses a lot on three students uh, being picked to represent their school in a series of major competitions in fencing. The cast is filled with interesting and diverse characters, each with their own skills and ambitions that uh, lend to fencing kind of being much more than just a sport for each of them. It's more like a philosophy, and it gets really in-depth and really interesting at times. Uh, And I also love the way that the rules of fencing are naturally peppered throughout the story, kind of like the uh, figure skating moves were like the beginning of each chapter in uh, Tilly Walden's spinning uh, that I talked about late last year. And um, so after reading these seven issues, I have to admit that like once or twice, I was kind of thinking about seeking out a fencing class here in London because the way it's presented, it just looks so awesome. Uh, also, I totally ship Nicholas and his roommate and rival. Uh, Se- oh, I can't remember. Seji, I think. Seji Katayama. Sorry, Bobby. Uh, it's another character in the book. I know your heart burns for Katayama, but that boy is destined to square off with Nicholas. I am totally into it, and I want more of Fence. It's really good. Uh, that's all I got. So... Strangely, like this is not completely related to this book, but um, the book I just talked about, Ask for Mercy, mm-hmm. like in the first couple pages has this big like two page spread of fencing. That's cool. They have a conversation about fencing. So this is weird because like I haven't I never hear anybody talk about fencing, but now I've heard yeah. it twice in one day. I love the cast of this book. They all have their own thing going on. Like you have your your fencing prima donnas. You have a. You know, the one the one beautiful dude who's sleeping with everyone except the person that he loves. And it's just there's lots of drama going on, but I am I'm totally here for it. There's something really just entertaining in it for me. I I, I don't know. It's Classic very boom. did you Joe, you've read this before, right? I read the first, I think, two or three issues. I didn't get a chance to finish out the first arc, but I agree with everything you're saying. And it's what Boom does best, man. It's like that coming-of-age drama slash humor that has it draws its influences from so many places and has really funky artwork. And I just love it. Yo, I think it's so fun. I am, I'm dying for the issue when Nicholas, because they share a room. He shares a room with his rival. They get stuck rooming together, right? And they have um, like a rubber ducky sheet drawn through the middle of the room so both of them stay on either either side and i'm just i'm waiting for the issue where that curtain comes down oh yeah and they start cohabitating and it's on and they start mecking out yeah man like there's some serious heat going on like these characters are fierce and they're funny and i just it's a i think it's a wonderful book and i i like started reading it the other night with the intention of like oh i'll just check out the first issue and then Boom was having a sale. I immediately went and bought the rest of them, and I loved every page of it. I can't wait for the next issue to come out. I'm so stoked. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Joey. We'll go with you, yeah. and we'll have Bob close us out of uh, Lightning Round. So I'm going to put five minutes on the clock mm-hmm. for Boo. And by the way, mm-hmm. I had 20 seconds left in my Lightning Round. That is kind of a record for me. I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. You have five minutes on the clock. Go. 
Okay, uh, I'll start with Tank Girl All-Stars number one from Titan. Um, we got our kind of Tank Girl veterans here, Alan Martin, Chris Wall, and Brett Parsons, um, writing a series of shorts. We also have some new artists on the book, Warwick Johnson Campbell and Jim Mafu joining them too, which is pretty awesome. Just a bunch of shorts featuring everybody's favorite punk post-apocalyptic Tank Girl. It was a great... The first story in it is so good where Tank Girl's like, I need new clothes. And she puts on all the outfits from like the movie and from everything. Oh, nice. And she's like, this is all trash. And she she donates <laughs> it all to, to like Goodwill. And then all of her friends buy her clothes back and wear them to a party. It's so funny. Um, that was just a fun kind of anthology issue from Titan. Uh, also read Shanghai Red number one from Image. This was kind of their big number one that they put out last week from Chris Sabella and Joshua Hickson. Uh, this book starts with a mutiny uh, led by a mysterious sailor named Red. It takes place in the 19th century. Pretty crazy. Uh, so Red turns out to be a strong-willed young woman with a complicated history. Uh, the visuals here have a pulpy, inky quality to them that I just adore, a la Chris Samney or Francesco Francavilla. Really cool kind of like high seas adventure book um, as Red kind of proves herself to the crew and takes them all under their wing to get them back to Portland where she seeks vengeance on the people that put her there in the first place. Uh, the characters are totally engaging. The story is great. And like I said, the artwork is just stupendous. Uh, so Shanghai Red, definitely worth checking out there. Um, also read A Strange and Beautiful Sound. I talked about this last week as a book I was looking forward to. This is a graphic novella from Zepp, who wrote A Story of Men late last year that we talked about, really enjoyed. Um, this features two main characters, a Carthusian monk named William, who's taken a vow of silence and a vow of celibacy. Um, and he gets a, a note saying that he has to return to uh, the city to be at the hearing of his aunt's will. He's been bequeathed um, a ample sum of money and he has to be there to kind of collect it. And uh, during his journey back to the city... Uh, he kind of discusses his faith and his vow of silence and all the things that he's given up to, to kind of do that. Um, and he meets a young woman on the train named Mary who tells him that she only has a few months left to live because she has a, a, an illness. And they get into some really deep conversations about faith, about belief, about, you know, uh, the future and death and all of these things. And things kind of unravel from there. Um, and the two of them connect on a way that that makes William kind of reevaluate uh, his life choices as Mary as well. Um, and there's some really beautiful moments late in the book that happened too. It's short. It's about 90 pages of show. So in terms of graphic novel, um, really beautiful artwork from Zepp. Uh, same thing with story of men and same thing with story of men too. Very straightforward narrative, but the subtext is just weighty with kind of this emotional and philosophical conversation that is very very accessible really really enjoyed this book the same way that i love the story of men as well um and the last book i'll talk about is x-men gold number 30 finally that wedding issue that bob and i thought we were going to get when we read x-men gold wedding special yes. but didn't get um this was from mark guggenheim david marquez matt wilson first of all before i jump into the wedding of kitty pride and colossus Marquez's work has never looked better. 
this, and I haven't been reading X-Men Gold, so he might be putting out this work every month, and I don't know, but I just read X-Men Gold number 30 here in isolation, and I gotta tell you, his artwork looks incredible. We've talked about David Marquez for a mm. long time, since Civil War II was the same way. Oh, but, dude, yeah, he was one of our, our first yeah, interviews. He was yeah. incredible. Every character in this book is absolutely stunning. I think part of it is, I think there's just a different Matt Wilson here. The colors here are deep and rich, uh, but there's a softness to them. It's just really, really, really gorgeous work visually. Um, and it matches kind of the, the occasion. This is supposed to be the wedding of Kitty Pride and Colossus. Um, I'll spoil it because the New York Times and Marvel spoiled it last week yeah. as well. So I don't feel bad about doing it. But the wedding does not happen between Kitty Pride and Colossus. There is a be- some beautiful moments early in the book that call back to early moments back from the Claremont run on the, on the two characters as well. Really, really stunning work. You could tell the characters just adore each other and love each other. But Kitty has a conversation with um, Colossus's little sister, uh, uh, Magic, mm-hmm. with a K. Um, and, uh, you know, she talks about, you know, all the, all the things that the two of them have gone through. Uh, and in the moment when Kitty Pride, in a stunning dress, fit and flair, uh, in a stunning, <laughs> stunning gown... The moment they're saying I do phases and Colossus puts the ring right through her hand. It is a heart wrenching full page spread gorgeously illustrated your heart just breaks and like I knew what was going to happen because I read the New York Times article and I was still devastated in the moment. It was just <laughs> stunning. And the two of them have this just really heart heartbreaking, but also really touching conversation later in the book too. Um, so I, I really wanted it and it didn't happen. Uh, and then the party doesn't go to waste though, because what happens is Gambit proposes to Rogue and they Aww. get the wedding. They get married right there, and that's how X-Men Gold number 30 ends, and, and that's going to bleed into Kelly Thompson's run on Mr. and Mrs. X, the Rogan <laughs> Gambit series that, that's going to be spinning out of that, too, which is very exciting. Um, it was a heartbreaking issue. It was heartwarming. It is, like I said, brilliantly illustrated as well. It was Reading it in isolation was just astounding, and I do want to kind of go back now and read the last few issues to kind of get me up to mm-hmm. up to speed with it it's it's re- it was a really really good wedding issue um and, and you know what there's a lot of great stuff with the the time displaced x-men that bendis brought over asshole mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot there's a great moment where like young gene and young scott are sitting in the audience at the wedding and and gene's like so i guess we got married over there and Scott's like, this is never going to not be weird. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? You're right. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, X-Men Gold number 30 just felt like... I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, too. Like, there's, there is an X-Men book. It's just a feel and a tenor to what an X-Men book is supposed to feel like. And X-Men Gold number 30 has that. It's just a great, great issue. Damn, man. You sold me. I would read it. It's really good. Just even in isolation, read it. It's really just a really good book. I have a problem with isolation. I go and I enjoy the isolation. And, and then, then you I go buy everything. Go back. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, well, you know, it's been a while since they came out. So they're only $6.99. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. But you sold me down. These weddings. We've got another one coming. Yep. 
And freaking David Marquez, man, he's a solid dude. I remember, I think it was the first, the very first Comic-Con when he started on um, Ultimate uh, Comic Spider-Man Miles. And uh, he had that synchronicity book, I believe, from, uh, oh, Syndrome, I think it's called, Mm -hmm. from uh, from Arkea. And yeah, like, I think he was my second interview for the, Camilla de Erico was my first. But, um, yeah, he's, oh, my God. Talk about talent. So ridiculous. Let me borrow just a drop of it, David. It's a little bit. It's a little bit. All right. Bob. Sure. It is, it is your turn for the lightning round. <laughs> Bring the thought. We need some damn. Thunder. We need some effects. We really do. We need a, we need a sounder. Or uh, something that we could press. I could put it in. Fine. I'll do it in post. Can you? I'll do it in oh, post. Oh, you <laughs> totally should. You totally should. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. All right. You have five minutes on the clock. Good, sir. Go. First up, Batwoman 16 by Marguerite Bennett and Fernando Blanco, with colors by John Rock and letters by Duran Bennett. It's the final chapter of The Fall of the House of Cain, and it is an absolute powerhouse of an issue. In order to stop the plans of the murderous, revenge-driven Tahini, which includes an army of virus-laden bats that will infect all of Gotham City, Kate Kane has to square off against not only her sister Beth, who's now in full-on Alice mode, but Batman himself. And does that deliver a moment that you will not see coming for a hundred years? There is so much great messaging in here about the various bat things that have been going on in the other books as well. And with Kate, her responsibilities towards her various families come into a great conflict here in a book that's just beautifully written, drawn, colored, and lettered in such a way that shows off this series to its absolute finest. It's just so sad that as this book is hitting new heights every month, it's run is coming to an end only two months down the road so yeah it's it's been worth it but you're gonna have to play catch up in the trades speaking of trade things but it's not there yet brave and the bold number five written and illustrated by liam sharp with colors by romulo fajardo jr and letters by troy petiri the next to last issue of this mystical mystery set in the land of celtic myth tiernan nog our wonderfully involving mystery has taken on some new intricacies as Batman, because, well, he's Batman, through his interview with the prime suspect, has come upon a shocking bit of information that ties a lot of sides of this at least hexagonal mystery together. But he might be too late to stop a war between the realms. This is simply stunning in, in every way possible. And with the revelations here bringing new light to what came before... If you're reading month to month and it was game, wow, this is really dense. I'm going to wait. It's it's now clear. And if you're waiting, it is going to make one of the all-time great graphic novel collections ever. It is absolutely gorgeous, beautifully written, sensitively done, and you need to have this in your collection. By the way, uh, the ladies of Valhalla's own Sarah Miles just posted a wonderful interview with Liam Sharp that you got to check out. Ant-Man and the Wasp number two by Mark Wade and Javier Garome picks up just after the hair-raising conclusion of last issue. Herein, 
Scott Lang has to try to rewire, in essence, Nadia's eyes, which were messed up by an exploding microversial monster last issue. But as she sort of sightlessly tromps about a bit, Nadia has become the Godzilla-like threat to an even smaller micro-world. We're into relativity in all sorts of senses here. It is hysterical, funny, touching. The back and forth between Scott and Nadia is really amazing. I'm enjoying the heck out of this, and I really hope that this sets things up really nicely for the new Unstoppable Wasp series from Jeremy Whitley coming soon to a store near you. Great little catch-up volume came out this week. It is Giant Days, the Extra Credit Collection, Volume 1, which brings together the 2016 and 17 holiday specials by John Allison with art by Lisa Tremaine and Jen Saint-Ange, respectfully, on what would... Oh, what would have happened if Esther, Daisy, and Susan hadn't become friends and it was Christmas? How the Fishman despoiled Christmas and love, ack, Shelley, plus a selection of all other strips written and drawn by John Allison. Now, they're doing some of these in bigger trades now, the not on the test editions, but it's just really fun to have these kind of rare holiday collections. Not every store got those at the time, so you may want to run to that. Do I have any time left, Steve? You have all the time in the world, Bob. I picked up Captain America number 704 by Mark Wade, Leonardo Romero, and Jordi Belair. This book looks amazing. The artwork is simply spectacular. The, the layouts, the colors, the actual artwork itself, some great representations of the Red Skull and all sorts of things. And the story was not very good at all for what was the finale of the Mark Wade run on Captain America. This started so wonderfully well, the cap out on the road and reaffirming what it meant and what he meant in the eyes of America. And that it comes to this sort of anti-climax set in some weird future with the super soldier serum making Cree sleeper agents. And there's no cap to be found. His influence is felt. But we did like three issues of this, and I love Mark Wade, but I didn't love this. This is why we can't have nice things. Ooh, damn. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Tanahasi coming up. Un American. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Tanahasi Coates starts next next issue on on July 4th. America. Hey now. America. Yeah, they're doing wow. that. Just, oh, so. Just as Batman 50 is they're doing a midnight release thing for that, Marvel has followed up, so they're going to release Captain America number one at midnight as well on the third. I shall read it. Yes. Way to, way to burn the flag right before 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write the thing. I only reviewed it. That's all right. Hey, that's the job. That's, that's, the, the, that's the job. They're going to hate us anyway. It's fine. Everything's fine. All right. So, um, any comments before we get moving on to the open discussion? I will take that as a no. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Joey, would you care to lead us in a discussion about the amazing Spider-Man? Sure. 
I Thank shall. You. Amazing Spider-Man number 801. Mm. The final issue from Mr. Dan Slott. Read a lot of Dan Slott this week, unexpectedly. Um, Dan Slott, Marcos Martin, Munza Vicente. Fantastic name there. Uh, 801. I have not read any Dan Slott Spider-Man before this. But <laughs> that possibly has done 800 issues. It's pretty wild. Uh, Steve, you read 800, right? I read nine. Uh, I read seven ninety six to eight hundred. Yeah, yes. and you talked it up, and I was like, you know what? I'll read eight hundred one because, like, I was like, I, I feel like you got to be part of the, you got to be part of the, part of the event, as it were. Um, and this was not what I was expecting. I think a lot of people were expecting kind of like a, like an epilogue issue to Slot's tenure on on the character, kind of a wrapping up loose ends kind of issue. And and instead, what mm-hmm. we got was a a, a one and done kind of issue um, that follows the story of a character named Kenneth Kincaid and his family. And uh, we open with an early outing of Peter Parker, Spider-Man, right? We, we get, you know, we know how the mm-hmm. story's told the first page, brief recap, brilliantly illustrated from Marcos Martin um, recapping the Spider-Man story, amazing fantasy. You know, the whole thing, you know, the story. And then we cut to Kenneth Kincaid going to buy cigarettes at the bodega that's being held up way back, way, way back. And who swings in to save the day but a young Spidey. Um, and it's one of his first his first kind of saves. And he leaves the note. And he it's the first time he ever leaves the note. Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And then what we see, instead of following Peter Parker... We follow Kenneth Kincaid and the life that he's led because he was saved on that day. Um, And we cut to the present day and Kenneth Kincaid gets the opportunity to help Spidey out, taking out some bad guys in Chinatown. And uh, the issue ends with um, him telling his niece, Judy, that Spider-Man saves the world every day, even if it's just saving one person. And I cried. I cried. I love Spider-Man. I just love the character so much. Mm-hmm. He's one of my favorite, favorite characters. And Amazing Spider-Man number 801 is is the perfect example of why I love the character. Uh, and I think Slot loves the character. And I think Slot understands why, that, why, why Spider-Man is so important and so good. And he captures it perfectly here by telling us the story of this, this guy and his family. And, and the things that, that Mr. Kincaid tells his niece and, and Mr. Kincaid gets to do because of Spider-Man, I, I think, is a perfect like period end stop to what Slot's been doing on the character. Um, and I, I will go back and I will read the whole run. And I, 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 That's a lie. I lied a little bit. I did read, <laughs> I, I did read Spider Island. Uh, I did. Spider, I, 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 Spider Island was awesome. I did read a little bit of um, Superior, you know. Uh, so like, oh, I, I have read great. some Stan Slot, but I, I, I will go back and I'll, I will read some of the highlights because I think if this issue is any indication, I think Dan Slot really understands Peter Parker, and yeah. um, I, I thought it was. I, it looked great. It read great, and like I said, I, I cried. I, I really did um, because. 
you know, when, when, when Mr. Kincaid says, when Judy, his, his niece says, you know, oh man, I wish I had seen Thor or Iron Man because they saved the world, you know, and, and, and Mr. Kincaid's like, Spider-Man saves the world. He saves moms, he saves dads, he saves uncles, he saves the people that are the world to somebody. And I just, I just started crying, you know, reading that, reading this random issue of Amazing Spider-Man, uh, number 801. I think people probably wanted like what's going to happen with Mary Jane. What's all these loose ends from Dan Slott's run? But I'm glad that this is what he did to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult to talk about Amazing Spider-Man number 801 without uh, discussing the elephant in the room, and that elephant is that Kenneth Kincaid is a Mets fan. <laughs> uh, what, huh? What's up with that? All right. I'm just- I'm just kidding. I don't know anything about sports. Sports ball. I've been, been holding on to that for like five minutes. Uh, <laughs> I do this. I do this incredibly emotional recap, and you're like, I know. Yeah. Fuck me. I can't top that. <laughs> I, you, leave, you leave me nowhere to go from this like outpouring of emotion for this damn book. Do you know if the Kenneth Kincaid characters have come before in the dance lot run? I don't know. How the hell would I know I that? I don't know. Um, please, please do. Let's solve the mystery of Kenneth Kincaid. He's really the crime master. We just don't know it. Yeah. Um, so for me, having read the, the, the final arc and then going into this, like, I didn't really know what to expect. Like I came in, obviously, like I read the first, meh, like two volumes when the, the reboot first started and then I kind of lost the thread and then I came into it at the end. And um, like I said, some of the I guess some of the momentum of the event didn't land for me, but it definitely felt epic. And I think this was a really awesome way of ending Dan Slott's run, mostly because he tells this really epic story by way of this one person, this tiny moment. You know, it's it's like how the the you throw the pebble into the into the pond, right? And the ripple effect, how it ripples out. And Spider-Man's first interaction, like one of his first saves, him leaving the note, all of, all of these firsts that happen with this one person and following him through the years rather than Spider-Man, but seeing the influence. Like he, he uh, says to Spider-Man at one point in the book, he says, you saved my life that day. He's like, oh, I've saved a lot of people. I'm sorry, I don't remember you. And he's like, no, you don't understand. Like I quit smoking the day that you that you flew into that convenience store and so it's got like dual messaging to it and all of these things and it's just it's wonderful and i also love that the daughter looks a hell of a lot like uh luna lafayette yeah when she the moment where she's kind of uh winning the science fair and she's got the glasses and the buns and just totally totally like luna inspired at least it looks like it to me uh, yeah, I, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but what I got was, was a really, really nice, like, aw, yeah. that I, I, the final page is so good. And, and I, I don't know what's going to come of Amazing Spider-Man in, in the next iteration. I hope that it, it, it continues to be cool and we'll see. Nick Spencer going to come. I know it's and it's kind of his first big thing since uh, Secret, Secret Empire. Empire. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I'm curious to see how it gets received. I don't know where it's going to go. Uh, I'm actually I'm a little curious about it. I might have to I might have to give it a whirl. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean, like Dan Slott already made Spider-Man Dr. Octopus. So, I mean, like, what's Nick Spencer going to do? You, we, you know, you could, you could always say that, but but then creators come and they've got their own ideas, man. You Sp- know, Spider Peter Parker just gonna roll up on the first page on a goblin glider, and I don't know <laughs> throwing goblin bombs. Yeah, they said something and, and about him, Jay Jonah, uh, and yeah, getting the black suit back. But I don't know if that was just for the Venom stuff. I don't know what's going on. So we'll see. That stupid black suit. Relax. It might be all right. I don't know. Um. We'll find out, maybe. Okay, let's talk about Tony Stark, Iron Man number one, also a Dan Slot joint. Yeah. Uh, Joey? All right, I got it. All right, here we go. Dan, Tony Stark, Iron Man number one. Dan Slot, Valerio Shitti, Edgar Delgado here. This was a fun first issue. Again, Dan Slot, another one and done here to kind of kickstart the new Iron Man series. Now that Tony Stark's back, he's got his body back, blah, blah, blah. I didn't really read any of Bendis' run on Iron Man, so I have no idea what the past is, but this is a very clean start. Uh, you don't really necessarily need a lot of... Um, uh background here um it does feel like that kind of fun loving genius billionaire playboy philanthropist tech genius tony stark back here um we open with a kind of flashback to a kind of like a a battle bots soccer bots kind of thing going on with a young tony stark besting a whole team of of uh computer people led by andy bang um, of Bang Robotics, um, uh, he he just obliterates them on the robot soccer field, and then we flash forward twenty five years or whatever, and uh, Andy's still doing robotics out of his garage, and Tony Stark rolls up in his fancy flying car, and he's like, "Andy, <laughs> you're coming with me to Stark Unlimited Tower, and I need your help on some 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 uh, robotics." And it's pretty cool. Andy's kind of our character entry point into what Tony's been up to. Uh, some really cool cameos from Bethany Ga- uh, Cabe, which is awesome. Big fan of Bethany Cabe. That's a that's a throwback to some old school Iron Man there. Um, and uh, the big villain of the first issue is a uh, 3F Finn Fang. No! Boom, let's oh, yeah. go, baby, showing up. But things are a little off with Mr. Foom. Um, he's not wearing the purple tights and he's not what? talking. Yeah, no, it's weird. And Tony thinks it's weird, too. We get some Iron Man heroics and uh, some big twists uh, and turns uh, in a post credit scene, as it were. Like I said, one and done here. Great uh, kind of energetic, dynamic start to Tony Stark, Iron Man. Um, I think putting Dan Slott onto Tony Stark, Iron Man, the same way they did when they put him on Spider-Man way back when, I think they're doing that for a very particular reason. Dan Slott does a great job of kind of balancing a really clear you know, background and understanding of what makes the character tick with a sense of, of humor and a sense of emotional weight too. So I think it's a good start. I think it's a really bold move. Um, I do, I do think when Bethany cave showed up in the book, I was like, Oh, they're keeping Mary Jane around because they both got red hair. But and then she was like, I'm Bethany cave. And I was like, Oh, okay. I don't know what we're doing. Mary Jane or pepper Potts, but 
I didn't read any of the Bendis runs, so I have no idea what the story is with any of that. Um, but yeah, Tony Stark Iron Man number one, cool opening. Yes, I agree. I also really love Jocasta. Oh, yeah. The, uh, Jocasta Pym. She's fantastic. Yeah. She's absolutely fantastic. She um, a robot Jocasta? I mean, yes. in the old days? Okay, good. Yes. Um, real talk, though, for a moment. If Fin Fang Foom is not wearing the purple pants, does that mean that, like, everybody can see... His Fin Fang Foom? His Fin Fang Foom? Oh, yeah. <laughs> fin Fang Foom's Fin Fang Foom's hanging yeah. out. But this is not like Dr. Manhattan. He's 78 feet high. It's he doesn't have, like, a Charlie Brown V going on. No, no. You know what it is? It's the... He's... He's Finn Hang Foom. Oh, oh. yeah. Um, I, re- I thought Ooh. the art for this particular issue was just insane. There's so much detail. There's so much. The transformations, first of all, I'm not going to ruin it because it's just, if you're at all interested in reading this book, there's some really awesome Iron Man transformations yes. in this. Uh it's just it's just spectacular. I don't know. Like it moved, it was kind of ridiculous. There's all kinds of cool characters uh introduced in this and it's got a really good energy about it. So, and it's and a, and a pretty pretty interesting initiative by the end. Um I'm going to hang out with this for a little bit. I'm I'm uh I'm excited. Yeah, no, it's cool. It was good. It was really good. It was um it was packed too. They even even the introductory character that's uh, following Tony into this being the fish out of water and following him at all of the new stuff that uh, Stark Tech has going on. Like I felt like that was me being like, "Wow, I have not read Iron Man in a while. This is pretty crazy." You know, like what mock number are we at at this point? <laughs> so um, yeah, I you know, it's cool. I'm uh, I'm I'm down with it. My my pull list is getting real expensive with some of these Marvel <laughs> books, boy. Like they want you know five and six dollars drained from my neck. I will say I think both Tony Stark Iron Man and Amazing Spider-Man 801 were five dollars. Oh yeah, and that's messed up because both Dude. ended, and I was like, that's it. Yo, Thor was six. Thor two. No, Thor oh, 1, oh. the one that you read. Is Thor 2 coming out? Is no, I don't know. I don't know. That, that, no, no they I think can't. that's a regular price this year. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's only going to yeah. be $5. You'll see. Yeah. That's messed up, man. It you get a digital up. code, though. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, let's, barrel, let's barrel through this next one uh, real quick, because I want to I wanna talk some Luke Cage. Uh, Melissa, how was your cookie? Yummy. <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of cookie was Num it? num cookie. <laughs> it's not a cookie. I didn't have any cookies. Oh. You didn't have one? I thought nope. you said you were going to get a cookie. I did go get a snack, but I didn't have any cookies. I have pizza flavored Cheez-Its instead. Oh, <laughs> That could be better than a cookie. That's, that's a bold move. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm a bold con girl. Nice. Yeah. Did I like did I screw up your whole thing by having you unmute your mic when you were crunching away? <laughs> no, I'm quick, man. I'm ready. Cheeks full of nip crackers. I'm paying attention. All right. I should hope so. This is important stuff. I'm here. I'm just eating while you guys talk all these things that I don't watch. 
most important <laughs> podcast in the whole world right here. <laughs> Great. Batman number 49. This this little open discussion goes out to Jessica Schaefer, yep. who's not here with us Pour tonight. one out. Pour one out. Got this exci- year, Jess. Yeah, she's got some exciting things going on in her life. But we're here to talk about Batman 49. Mm. One more issue until the wedding. This is the finale of the Best Man arc, uh, which followed after the Booster Gold stuff. And we have a really, really, really gut-wrenching issue here of Joker and Catwoman. Batman is out. So if you haven't been keeping up with this, I apologize. Batman is like, he's under some rubble right now. He needs to channel his inner Spider-Man and lift that stuff up. Uh, And so Catwoman shows up. Joker's doing his thing. And so they come to blows. And before you know it, they're both down. And, of course, what are you going to talk about when you're both dying? You're going to talk about Batman and how much either one of you loves him. And who loves him more? And I got to tell you, after reading this issue, I think it might be a tie. (laughs) (laughs) I really think it might be a tie. This was, you know, if... If you have that issue, like it was good to be back and everything, but I, I will admit, like the booster gold stuff kind of it, it messed with the flow a little bit. And it took an issue or two to to really get back into the wedding stuff. And this just this was cripplingly good. Yeah. This mm. issue. Uh I saw somebody and I can't figure this out. Maybe you guys can help me. Somebody said that uh this had its own uh what is the the name of that? Uh, the Killing Joke. Somebody compared it to the Killing Joke. Yeah. Did you find any shades of Killing Joke in this? Well, someone laughs, but I don't. I don't know if that counts. I, well, you know what might be interesting is, and I, it's kind of a spoiler, but I mean, Joker does shoot Catwoman in the in the gut, side. in the side, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. it ends. It has the kind of inversion of the let me tell you a joke kind of thing. Right, 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 right. right. Okay, I'm sorry to see it. I yeah, but I saw many more nods to the to the ending of John Carpenter's The Thing. (laughs) Like Kurt Russell and Keith David are sitting there, just kind of dying and chatting about stuff. Yeah, I love this issue. It was it was incredible. I and like I talked about it, Batman forty eight too, as the kind of Joker monologue with with Batman and being a Joker driven issue too, and the cliffhanger of that one is Catwoman being like, guess I'll do it myself. Right. You know, and like swinging in and then you have that brawl. And then I was not expecting all the conversation about like using first names of like their villain buddies. I loved that. I thought it was so good when they were like Oswald and his umbrella. Am I right? (laughs) You know, like, or like (laughs) hard with the tuxedo. Why? Yeah. I just thought it was so like the, the banter was so funny, but also like so deeply kind of rooted in the history of it too. It's the Mm -hmm. same thing that we were talking about with Spider-Man and to some degree, Tony Stark too. And the X-Men gold issue that I talked about as, as well. Like Tom King is doing such a good job with these issues leading up to the wedding of reminding you of the history that these characters have gone through together. And 
you even when you pull Batman out of it, you have Catwoman who has been there for all of this too. And they're talking about like, you know, oh, Harvey would have been the one to 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 get bats, you know, or like the whole thing about like Edward's theory about and I'm like, Edward, oh, the Riddler? Yeah, like yeah. and it's so funny to think about like these two bad guys talking about their friends who are also bad guys, you know. And there's something wonderful about the idea of them being like, or Joker, who's like, you know, remember when things used to be fun, you know, back in yeah. the day when we used to just you and your cats and, and, and Ivy with her flowers, you know, and all that stuff. And it's just like, they, they've come so far, you know, and here we are on the precipice of a wedding between Catwoman and Batman. And uh, Joker's like, everything's gonna be different, man. <laughs> you know, I have to, I have to save him. Yeah, wild. And I love the ending. I just thought it was so good. And I'm excited for fifty. Fifty is gonna be wild. I, I, I'm with both you guys. Such a wonderful counterpart to the last issue, and that Tom King can bring us new insights to these characters who debuted in Batman number one in 1940. Yeah. And there's something new to be had, but there's, I don't know that they've ever had this, there's something never had this long a conversation. I don't think they've ever had any one tenth of this ever before. And yet it seems as if they must've had lots of them. Mm. It's how brilliantly this is written. Stunning. And the artwork by Mikhail Yannan is so cinematic. This, I want to see this as an animated movie. Yes, I want just Oh, I this. think they'll do this eventually, for sure. Right, the the cat-bat wedding thing? Yeah, I want this for an hour and a half or two hours or three hours or more. I mean, it's kind of weird. If you think about it, they, like, they've kind of slowed their role on announcing Batman movies. Like, the last thing that come out was Batman Ninja. Ninja, right. Um, I mean, there might be something coming out that I don't know about, but, um, like there's, there hasn't been anything on the Tom King run and it's been going for a while, but that naturally that's eventually where they're going to pull from. Yes. Um, I can see it now. Cold open Catwoman stealing the dress. Yes. Credits. And then you go to the Joker scene. And then the Catwoman Joker scene and then the wedding. And that's the, that's the animated movie. Bingo! Copyright that. Trademark yep. that. Joey, right now. Take that, Jeff Johns. <laughs> All right. It, it, and it has to be in Joel Jones's style, I think. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So, two more weeks. Two more weeks. And uh, we will be... Actually, no, one more. Next week. Next week? Yeah. It comes out today? Yeah. Tomorrow? Today? No, no, it comes out next week. It comes out no, next week. It comes, it comes out midnight on <laughs> Don't July third. People, Joey. I'm sorry. I'm people. gonna. My plan is, by the way, I'm going to leave. We're gonna record till whenever we record next week. I'm gonna go running down the street to Android's Comics for the midnight buying spree. Barefoot. I'm gonna wear a suit to that podcast. Should wear a tuxedo. No, I have I one. Have, not have a tuxedo. I'm not running a tuxedo for this. I wore a tuxedo to episode 300, if I recall. Yes, yes. You probably have a tuxedo. I have two. Yeah, see? Yeah. I, I only, not have, I only have one. You got me up on that one, Joey. Yeah. Well, I have a suit, and I'm going to wear it. Damn it. You watch. 
I'm a very fancy person. You are very fancy. Are, are we going to serve hors d'oeuvres? <laughs> Is there going to be a cocktail hour? It's pronounced horse d'oeuvres. Horse d'oeuvres. <laughs> I'm making eggs in a blanket, blanket. Bob. Okay. All right. Questions. We have questions. Well, we will get to them in a little bit. First, what? first, our our main event, Luke Cage. Yeah, let's do this. Let's knock this out. Season two. Let's all right. Power no... through what? this. Am I right? Oh, oh. woo! Ooh. Sweet sister. So there's that was actually there was a lot more of that in this season than there was in the first. I'm done. You know, I'm first... out of here. What? You guys with your bad jokes, I'm finished. We'll get some cookouts. <laughs> Luke Cage, season two. No spoilers first, then we will call spoilers if we need to. We will give you fair warning. We'll know when to tune in or tune out. Uh, general thoughts. I really, really enjoyed season two of Luke Cage. <laughs> I have... Um, no, I really, really, really did. I saw the first two episodes, yeah, like two months ago, uh, and they really didn't like. I, they didn't jive with me at all. Like something about the series felt off. Mm -hmm. And then it came out for real, and we went back to it. And we Lauren was here, and we we binge watched it with her, and it just something about it it sat better for me i don't know if it was like the picture quality the sound quality the mood or whatever uh the first thing i want to say about this season is holy hell the soundtrack the soundtrack to this season mm. is just perfection yes perfection so many incredible incredible performances uh filmed throughout uh at that paradise like just absolutely insane loved that i've been listening to the soundtrack for the last two days uh during work and everything and really really just blown blew my mind um i got really really into the drama of this season there were characters that really kind of took the top spots for me and i found myself not like not disinterested in luke cage's thread but there was so much other content going on between like Mariah and Shades, Mariah and her daughter. Uh, I was really into all the Bushmaster stuff. I really, really loved the representation uh, of the Jamaican people in this, keeping the accents, keeping the lingo and all of that. I thought that was fantastic. The Capoeira fighting from Bushmaster was just awesome. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I just... I like I've seen in like a lot of people have watched it and so they're kind of giving their reviews and I've seen some people comment about pacing but I just I don't know I, I didn't feel that I was so engrossed in what was going on particularly with uh, Shades I can't remember the name of the actor Theo uh, Rossi Theo Rossi he was he was the highlight of the season yep for me yep, he yep. is so cool 
he is so cool. I just I know that he's I know that he kills people. I know he does all of his stuff and whatever. But there's something really legit and enjoyable about watching him and his flow and and just he's so smooth. Um, loved a lot of the new characters. Like I said, I was really into Bushmaster. I thought Anansi uh, was a really good kind of not a foil to him, but kind of a mirror for who he used to be and how far he strayed. Mm. Uh, they do some really interesting things with Luke Cage throughout this season. The stuff between him and uh, Mariah is really intense. I uh, wasn't particularly thrilled with some of the Claire stuff, Aww. but uh, I have my suspicions about why that was and, and what they're kind of setting up for her uh, possible exit from the Netflix stuff. Uh, just kind of felt very unresolved for for me and I, I they had an opportunity to kind of wrap it up a little bit and it was passed on which is really kind of interesting but we'll get to we'll get to that later yeah they're definitely writing her out <laughs> yeah 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 for sure for sure uh but yeah um and i'll leave it i'll admit this i'll admit this up front there's a there's a there's a guest there's a guest episode with mr danny rand Mr. Mr. I am the Iron Fist shows up. Yeah. And we get kind of a taste of what the real heroes for hire would be like. And they've done some they've they've gone back to the drawing board with him a little bit. They've kind of changed his attitude. They're presenting him as a little bit more laid back, a little bit humbled and kind of um more of like the the teacher that I've thought of him as, as being and somebody that can, can guide someone toward finding their, their inner peace. They're, they're using their chi to channel their powers and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was a really solid episode. And I will add that the people who wrote that episode were definitely listening to either this podcast or other (laughs) people, because a lot of the things that I have said or that we've said complaints about that character were addressed, but addressed very cleverly, like very jokingly, but like good, not pandering, not stupid, not too naughty, just like, oh, yup. They know. Yeah. They know. They know they screwed that up. I, I, I don't know if they and, were listening to ahead. this podcast though, because brother still can't fight worth a damn. Like oh, <laughs> he God. still does not know how to like throw a kick. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like <sighs> But no, you're absolutely right in terms of the writing of that character. He's he def- that is that that episode was definitely much, much more in line with what the the Iron Fist character was. And it actually felt a lot like that David F. Walker, Power Man and Iron Fist series that we love so much on the show. Yeah. No more fiddle faddle. Yeah, no, it felt like Danny, Danny Rand coming in the shop being like, hey, man, let's get the team back together and let's, you know, fight some crime, you know? And I was like, this is exactly what happens in Power Man and Iron Fist number one. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. and, and it was, that episode was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, so that's, that's pretty much it for me. I'm sure that I'm forgetting some stuff, but yeah, I, uh, I hung in the whole time. I had, I had a lot of fun. I think that we'll talk about maybe the last episode or two in a few minutes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So Joey, what did you think? No, yeah. I'm with you on those first couple episodes. There was something about the way, like the cinematography of it or something. It just looked weird and I don't know what it was like. 
it felt like the aspect ratio or something was off. And I don't know why. Just the first couple of episodes. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. You know, um, hmm. I think I think part of it, too, was the Claire stuff. I think that they were trying to figure out how they were going to get Claire Rosario Dawson out of the out of the series. So for the first three episodes or so, they're dealing with that. And it did feel like we were kind of spinning our wheels. But once they tied that bow up a little bit and you're able to focus exclusively on uh, Mustafa Shakir's Bushmaster and his history with the Stokes family, Mariah Stokes, Mariah Dillard's family. um, Like that's the centerpiece of this season, which is crazy because Luke Cage is not a part of that conflict. You know, no. Luke Cage finds himself as a pawn in the middle of this gang violence between Bushmasters, like seeking vengeance on Mariah Stokes and the Stokes family, and Alfrey Woodard as Mariah Stokes, trying to, in some ways, go straight, but by amassing this empire, right? Like, which is crazy. Um, Alfrey Woodard is a is just like so good in this show as Mariah. She is volatile and powerful and you don't know what she's going to do any minute of, of any episode. It is crazy Mm -hmm. how she's able to just manipulate everyone. And you're right. Theo Rossi as shades is just like stunning. (laughs) When I wrote the cast list in my notes, I was like shades with like 10 (laughs) S's. He was so good this episode because he's this episode, this season, because he's the one ironically, as you're saying, like he's like season one, he was that like shadowy dude taking everybody out, you know? Yeah. And then all of a sudden this, this season, he's the one looking at Mariah being like, this is too much. Right, like you're making all the wrong, all the wrong choices, and he all of a sudden he becomes a moral centerpiece of this show, which is so ironic and so interesting. And this great relationship with with Comanche in there as well too. It's like really, really yeah. cool. A lot of the stuff in in this season is really loaded and emotionally wrought. It's like it's intense, um, in a similar way to the way Jessica Jones season two was emotionally wrought and intense too. But what I think Luke Cage does better than Jessica Jones season two is there are a lot more players. And one of my criticisms for Jessica Jones season two was that all of the emotional kind of weight of that season was Jessica Jones and her mom. So every episode, it just felt like you were doing the same thing over and over and over again. But here you're able to see Bushmaster and his uncle and Nazi or Bushmaster and Mariah or Luke Cage and Mariah or, or shades and, or Missy and Luke. Like there was just a lot of di- Missy, Misty, a uh, Misty Knight, right. Who has a great arc in this season as well. And there's just, yeah, a, she was fantastic. Was so good. And a great daughters of the dragon episode. What we get Colleen. Yes, you freaking do, oh. man. They show up. It's so good. So good. So good. Um, that like it like this season just puts all like everybody gets a scene with everybody and it's just so smart. Cheo Hadari Coker does a fantastic job of just running this show, hiring good directors, hiring good writers. Like it is just cohesive and it moves. I'd say from it from episode four through the end, like it just 
goes. The first three-ish, three, four episodes was a little tough to get through, but but once I was in, kind of into it, I banged out the rest. Um, first couple episodes mm-hmm. took me a little bit of while, and I will say that like one of the star players this season for me was Reg E. Kathy as James Lucas as oh, as Luke's oh, dad. dad. Yes. Oh yeah. Who he was just incredible and about like episode six or seven you know he had this like great scene or whatever and i remembered in that moment that he passed away earlier this year like i didn't i didn't even realize it and that's just like the crazy thing about tv you know and movies you know they filmed this so many months ago and this was his last role and i'm like man like reg kathy is so good like he's so good and i looked up i was like what's he up to and i was like oh yeah that and that was heartbreak heartbreaking heartbreaking yeah. especially because like the advice that he gives to luke throughout this season too it's like even that relationship goes through so many like hoops and hurdles here too the mm-hmm. last thing i want to say is that the fight choreography for luke mm. cage and bushmaster and their fights they stepped it up for this season I don't know mm-hmm. what the hell they did with Danny Rand. Like it was a hot mess still. <laughs> I was like, this dude, uh-huh. like this brother shows up and I'm like into it. Like he rolls up in the in the barbershop. He takes his shoes off. He, he sits like, you know, cross-legged on the chair, gives spins some some Zen wisdom, whatever. I'm like, I'm into this. This is cool, man. Love the dynamic between the two. Still hate Finn Jones with a burning passion, but I'm into it. Whatever. <laughs> and then and then they roll up into this into this into this warehouse to fight some bad guys. And like even Luke Cage is throwing better punches than Danny Rand, immortal Iron Fist. I'm like, Jesus Christ, come on, learn some freaking kung fu during your there off season. Jesus Christ. There's something about his style that really bothered me in this. I was talking to Bronwyn about this earlier. That um I don't know. I think it might have been the, the filming of those scenes because there's a lot of um, like pulling of punches on camera that you can clearly see. Yeah. Like usually it's angled in such a way that you're hiding some of that stuff. Yeah. But so like some of his moves were so stiff so bad. that you could see you could see the like his body stop before the person ran into his fist oh. and then kind of blew themselves back. Yeah. And I was like, like watching, and, I'm like, you know, it's Ugh. really unfortunate because one of the things that made daredevil so good was the fight choreography and the fight cinematography right. and none of the other, uh, Netflix shows has been able to match that including iron fist, but Luke cage, at least, you know, he's a big guy, powerful. And they were able to give Mustafa Shakir a bunch of cool stuff to do with the Kapara stuff. Yeah, but I was like, dude, yeah, like Iron Fist can't, like he can't, like he can't, he can't even throw a punch. Can't even throw a punch, man. He's the Iron Fist, the Iron Fist. <laughs> Hercules, Hercules. But but he's definitely definitely better, definitely better. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if I could take thirteen episodes of okay, him. Okay, there you go. But the one episode we got of him was great. It was good. It was very good. Um, okay, super quick. Is there anything that we want to say spoilery or do we want to just move on? Let's just move on. I think that the the clip, the quote-unquote cliffhanger ending, the twist ending, uh, and where it leaves Luke Cage for the future is very interesting, very different, very unexpected. I did not mm. think it was going to happen. Um, and I'm, I'm like really excited to see where it goes. Okay. I am as well. I think they're, I don't want to say anything. It's too spoiler. Okay. 
Let's move on. We don't have any news this week, so forget that. We're not, yeah, we don't need to talk about Walmart. We don't need to. Walmart. You heard about what DC's doing? No. Oh, here we go. Here we go with news. I guess news. we need to talk about Walmart. Huh? I guess what's we going need to talk on? about Walmart. Yeah, what's yeah. going on at Walmart? Uh, DC is going to be selling 100-page giants exclusively at Walmart. Oh, like okay. those like masterwork like, collections? Like No, like the old-fashioned 100-page giant annual comics. Yeah, where they like, yeah. collected a bunch of monthly issues into one. Right. It, on cheaper paper, mm-hmm. only at Walmart. Yeah. And mostly reprints, except, except, we'll have a Tom King Superman story in one of them, a Bendis Batman story in another. Oh, and and so there are there there's pros and cons. It, it it's good that they're in mass market media territory again, with a a large retailer, and maybe regular folks will see him and want to come back to the stores. Uh, there are retailers who are feeling a little threatened that people have such small amounts of disposable income they're going to go to walmart and go buy some food while they're there maybe or or that eventually walmart will start selling more books Mm -hmm. now there's a great article today because of neighborhood protectionism and all sorts of stuff within the city of new york there are no walmarts in manhattan correct so there is apparently a, a raiding party beginning of New York City comic book stores who are going to go to the suburbs and buy a bunch of... Buy a bunch. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so they can service their customers. Hey, I mean, look, as long as people are buying comics... Yes, but then are you, are you supporting Walmart and them selling books by buying up everything they have? Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Well, if some dude from Midtown's going to go buy a bunch of one hundred, right. you know, whatever, so that they could sell them, you know, yeah. resale, that's For double the price. Up. That's yeah, they messed can up. Feed some cigar chomping Doug Ford lookalike. Yeah, but that's not going <laughs> to happen. That's not going to happen. No. You know, I, I, look, I think that you know when we same thing when we talked about games. GameStop selling the Marvel and DC stuff. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. All in all, it's a good thing. You know, and who knows? Maybe Target will get in on it eventually too. And I I think Marvel and DC want to cut deals with places like this. And I think that I think that you know who I think would benefit a lot from this kind of stuff are independent publishers. You know, Archie's been in grocery stores forever. You know, and, mm. and that's part of the reason why they're still around, I think. Digest at the, at the checkout center. Digest with the magazines and the color. Yeah, books. you got to watch, like, you, but you have to, like, you'd have to start printing things differently. You'd start have to bind, you'd have to bind them differently. No, like, I the mean, amount of hands. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, serious. Yeah, but, like that, the yeah, amount but that's what DC's doing here. They're not yeah. using their glossy paper. They're using no, the old-fashioned yeah. paper. Right. Yeah. But I'm saying if, like, if Image were to get into the game, like, they would all have to follow suit because the Can't amount of hands. criminals at the Super Bowl. No, you're absolutely right. But Image <laughs> Image does do those Yo. reprints on cheaper paper. Yep. Image should start making deals with, like, some of the higher-end, um, like, adult shops. 
for for sex criminals. Uh, I, I don't know about that. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like having like a, a standee with a few of the volumes in there? Sure. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, but like that's like the one they're gonna they're gonna cut a deal oh, wait, with. Wait, uh, I could sunstone. think of a few other sunstone. things. Sunstone. Uh, yeah, yeah okay. I could have some sunstone going but, on in you there. Know, like if, if 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 these retailers are gonna try and get more floppies. <laughs> <laughs> floppies wow. into, boom, into boom hands be within mass market retail oh absolutely i mean look what barnes and noble's done for the comic book industry and the yep. bookstores you know the way that the trade paperbacks have, have flown off their shelves you know same hey, thing well, remember remember the the three issues in a bag yeah Oh yeah, from Toys R Us. That was one yeah, of the, that's one of the coins in a fountain. That's one of the Sorry. first things that <laughs> okay, my Victor dad Bone. my dad ever got me was was yeah. three Hulk issues. It wasn't three Hulk. It was three Marvel issues in like a a package from Toys R Us. It was like an yep. Incredible Hulk origin story, a Doctor Strange, uh, and the Mystic Arts issue, and like a Dark Dark World, I think, or Dark. Darkholds, one one of those, mm-hmm. you know, one of those old mystic books, printed on the 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 kind of pulpy paper, you know, it was cheaper, and uh, it was great, you know, and those are the kinds of things that kids will get. So if a kid at Walmart picks up this big old issue of uh, DC giant size, whatever, you know, great, cool, yeah. Uh, again, here's the thing: it, it is a some retailers are looking at it as a as a great opportunity to end up eventually getting more people in their store. And if they're a little flustered by, I'm going to have a customer who's going to ask for this, I have to try to find a way to get one, or I just have to chance it. The direct market has had such an exclusive or virtual exclusivity right. on comics for so many years, and the market has shrunk to where we're at. Because of it. It's, it, it's, it's a little too much protectionism to think about i i can't let anybody else sell books anymore you, yeah. you'd better get over that because otherwise you'll have no industry in five years yeah and even if somebody comes into your shop asking hey you got that giant dc book you say look that's only a walmart but i got all these 99 cent issues of superman i got my dollar bins over here exactly yeah. you know you can get 12 issues for the price of that <laughs> one thing at walmart you know? i got something you just gotta try yeah <laughs> Look, the the more books in people's hands, the better. You know, I, that's what it comes down to for for me. <laughs> All right, so begins the great comic book turf war of 2018. It's a great segue into our first listener question, too. Yeah, it is. So, Greg Hulk Beast 51 on Twitter. Does the TC crew have any particular issues, trades, series from any era creative team uh, that speak to them particularly on a personal level? Something they absolutely adore and connect with. What a loaded question, <laughs> Mr. Greg. Drink. Yeah. I'm almost out of mind, so we gotta we gotta go through these questions. All right, who wants to go first, Joey? What? Me? Oh, no, Jesus. not you. Quiet. No, 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 not you. I want Melissa to go first. Oh, you what? asshole. What? Me? Yeah, yep. you. Put down the cookie and answer the question. Put down the cookie. <sighs> I ran out of cookies, man. These old guys over here arguing about whether their comics are too cheap. Okay. <laughs> Back in All mind, Jay. Right. Get off my lawn. My lawn. <laughs> 15 miles in the snow to the nearest comic book store. With cardboard in my shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna get sappy with these guys. Good, good. Because you know Thank that's my that's my roll sappy. around here. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. made myself laugh at that one. Okay. Um. So the first one I'm gonna have to go with is Saga Volume One. Uh, and I'm not making this up, but I picked this up off my shelf to look at it while I talk to you guys about it. And inside is my little crumpled up handwritten note where I wrote my wedding vows. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> I, I had no idea it was in there. I must have just stuck it in there so I didn't lose it one day. And that's where it's been sitting all this time. Um, so, yes, I, I think um, Saga Volume 1 is a special one for me because uh, I picked it up and read the first issue when I was uh, just getting ready to become a parent for the first time. And um, I think it spoke to me because, you know, obviously it's about kind of flying headfirst into parenthood and the panic of not knowing whether I could make a good parent or if I would fit in to whatever a good mom is supposed to be. Um, And feeling very like feeling, you know, a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, that's not my world. I can't really be part of that. Um, I had no idea what this book was about the first time I picked up that issue, but within two pages, I knew that it was speaking to me. Um, Alana and Marco's first few days of parenthood covered in this volume looked really familiar to me, even on an alien planet. Um, and Alana is someone whose conflicted nature I understand very well. Um, so yeah, that one, uh, that one hit me at the heart places. Um... And the second one is not going to be any happier. Uh, this one is uh, Tokyo Ghost. Um, and I'm going to say the whole series, really. Um, and it was surprising because I didn't expect this one to uh, be such a personal attachment for me. But I think, um, and this is, if you guys aren't familiar, I know you guys are, but it's written by Rick Remender and the art is by Sean Murphy. Um Many, many people, I think especially women, have been in a relationship at some point in their lives where they felt such a desperate desire to help the person that they love uh, that they would put themselves in great danger to save them. And not in a Star Wars space battle kind of way, but in a very guttural, brutal, real-life, no-good situations kind of way. Um, The relationship of Led Dent and Debbie Decay hit me in an unexpectedly genuine sort of way, and it continued... To break my heart as I worked my way through the series and I watched their relationship crumble um, while Debbie struggles to catch the pieces so she can kind of patch them back together every single time. (laughs) Um, And it still hurts a little to think of how badly she needed to save him and how badly he tried to destroy himself. And it just really, uh, yeah, it really, uh, I could relate to Debbie, let's just say. So those are my two answers to that question. And I hope that I made you guys feel weird about that. (laughs) <laughs> no, that saga that saga story was lovely that's that's yeah. special that's yeah. good stuff um joey yes uh you can go after bob god okay damn <laughs> it i hate you so much no. bob what's on your okay. list um i i want to say one thing everyone's going to expect what i'm going to say ha i say to that it certainly is fantastic for what I'm going to have you guys look for is John Burkle from our talking comics regular website is going to has asked me to throw some issues of fantastic four to work as a countdown toward the relaunch coming. So 
there are some very special issues in there that have had me reaching for the Kleenex over all these past years. So that's going to be over there. What's going to be over here for tonight is a book that, because I, I saw the interaction with the creator, with her fans, and what it meant to them, and what it meant to me. And it's it's two issues that, that go back-to-back with each other. They're separated by a little bit. It's, it's Kelly Sue DeConnick's Captain Marvel 17 of the, her first run, and number one of the next. And as we ran down her first volume, Carol Danvers was in this spot where this bad guy had done something to her brain and DNA kind of thing. And the more she used her powers, she was possibly going to lose everything in her psyche, her personality, her memories would all disappear. To save New York, she does that. And... And she comes back and actually saves New York again. And her little friend, Kit Renner, who lives upstairs in her apartment building, Lieutenant Trouble, as she calls herself, is asking Carol, well, um, when can we do, you know, Captain Marvel lessons? Because I want to, you know, we, we want to do that. And Carol says to her, listen to me, I've, I've been trying to tell you something. I can't teach you to be Captain Marvel, sweetheart. I can't teach you something that I'm still trying to figure out. And Kit says, you thought, boy, you're not as smart as you look. Here, what is this, Carol says. Your textbook, it's a comic book. I made it. You're not going to teach me about Captain Marvel, dummy. I'm going to teach you. There's nobody in the whole universe that knows more about Captain Marvel than me. I'm an expert. I got you covered. And Carol kind of breaks up, and it's Kit, I, Kit is, it's okay. And Carol, you did this to yourself for me? Yep. Page one, panel one. This is the story of Captain Marvel, her many foes and challenges, and how our intrepid hero, my mom taught me intrepid, it's a good word, go on. And how she, uh, I'm sorry. Anyway. Um, it is one of the most emotional things I've ever read in a comic book after 50-some-odd years of doing this. A month or so goes by, we get Captain Marvel number one, and we reboot this, and it's again Kelly Sue DeConnick and David Lopez. And Carol has to make a decision, what's going to happen in her life? And there's this discussion she's having with James Rhodes about what she's hoping to do, and here we go. Hope I can finish. Have you ever seen a little girl run so fast she falls down? There's an instant, fraction of a second before the world catches hold of her again. A moment when she's outrun every doubt and fear she's ever had about herself, and she flies. In that one moment, every little girl flies. Oh, boy. Yeah. How do you you beat that back to back? That's some some stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're there. I'm (laughs) sorry. I'm sorry, I'm uh, verklempt. Verklempt. That's the word. <clears throat> Anywho. You're that's good? It. That's it. I'm good. Well, right. no, I'm a, me- I'm a mess. But yeah, Thank I'm good, you, mess. Huh? All right, let's see if we can destroy Joey. Yeah, no, Captain Marvel was on my list, too. Um, that was a big series. That was a big series for a lot of reasons. Kelly Sue's run on, on that character. Uh, 
Starting with issue one, we will be the stars we were always meant to be. Oh, yes. Right? Punch holes in the sky. You know, higher, further, faster, more, man. That stuff is like, that's face tattoo, man. You put that right, <laughs> you put that right <laughs> on the forehead. It's yeah. it's so good. And and that that run, I that run helped, that run helped bring us together, too, in a lot of ways, I think. Um, talking comics. I, I, I don't know. Just, no, just no, no, you're, I, I, I think, think you're so. right. I think so too. Which it's just become a. It's it's still my, my wallpaper, and I'm I'm looking so forward to that movie. I it's gonna, that's gonna break me. Like the second that title card comes up, I know I'm just gonna yeah. just start bawling. Um, <laughs> and and the thing that spins out of that is Miss Marvel, for me mm-hmm. too. And not that I just live in Jersey City, uh, which has been huge too. But Miss Marvel for me was my Spider Man. You know, and and yes. I love Spider-Man so much um, for reasons that I talked about earlier in the show. And to have that character now for us uh, is important, too. And G. Willow Wilson has just done astounding work from the entire thing. And we're celebrating the 50th issue this week, yes. which is so exciting uh, to think about, you know. Um uh, for me too, we talked about on the show a lot before American born Chinese is a big one for me. Jean Wen Yang, which is a graphic novel. I don't know if that's the kind of what, what Greg was looking for, but I put that on there. Um, looking at my shelf here, you know, I think a few things that I will always reach for. I have some of those Chris Claremont books up there. Kitty pride and Wolverine. God loves man oh. kills. Like those are some of the best books ever yeah. made. Uh, phonogram. Steve, you and I have talked yep. about Phonogram before. That book's incredible. Um, Brubaker's run on Captain America is the thing that got me into comics. You know, aside from all my X Men stuff, and I've loved X Men since I was a kid, but it was it was Brubaker's Captain America arc and everything that that entails, including Winter Soldier, that has just uh, become really important to to me too. Um, two other graphic novels that that uh, really meant a lot to me was a book called Pawn Shop by Joey Esposito, who yes. writes for IGN. You remember this book? Yeah. Uh, he kicked, he put it on Kickstarter yep. a, yep. a bunch Bobby of years ago. Yeah. first supporter of that. Yeah. My copy right yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I kickstarted that book too, and you know, I got my signed copy on my shelf. And I just remember reading that book. First of all, I was so proud to see him publishing that book. I, I thought it was so, so cool to see someone who I'd read so much over at IGN now – putting out his own work, which is very cool to see. And the book ended up being this really awesome kind of very slice of life, you know, um, meditation on city living, you know, and the things that connect us all together. And it, it was a short, lovely story that just, I remember hitting me really hard. Uh, also a book I talked about at the end of last year to roots by Tara O'Connor from IDW. And top mm-hmm. shelf. Uh, that book was that book personally connected with me on a lot of levels too, which was was really astounding as well. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's most of what I've got up here. Obviously, there's this little book I really like uh, that <laughs> that I don't talk about a lot. It's called The Wicked and the Divine. But tell us about it. I. It's it's not just because it's the freaking coolest story ever. I, I do genuinely feel that, especially some of those issues, some of those issues stand out as being really deep, intense, 
meditations on pop culture and the community the, the the world that we find ourselves in now the one that pops to mind for me specifically is that social media issue uh that um that i think it's issue 13 or something like that and there are some issues of wicked and divine you, you you peel away the crazy mythology stuff you peel away all that that wild and wacky god stuff and Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey are doing something so modern, so real, and so pressing uh, with what they're doing. They did the same thing with their Young Avengers run as well, um, which was really cool. So, like, those are the things that, that pop for me. Teen Dog, always going to be on my list, too. <laughs> um, Teen Dog's a great run. Uh, but, but the first one that came to mind, obviously, was Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel, too. Teen Dog. Teen Dog's freaking awesome, man. It's just Shout a reminder. Shout out to Teen Dog. Shout out to Teen Dog. Can't He's forget. so cool. He's so cool with sunglasses and a skateboard. Oh, Dude. Backstagers. That's the other one that's on my list. <laughs> backstagers. Right. Backstagers is good stuff. We need an official announcement for that to come back. Where is that? We need it. Make it happen. All right. Um, okay. I guess I will go. Uh, I will try to run through these pretty quickly. So uh, the first thing that came to mind for me was Something New by Lucy Nisley. This is the book that I read right before Bronwyn and I uh, were to be married. And it's this hysterical account of Lucy uh, getting married in her own life and kind of this, you know, uh, biographical yada yada. And I really, really connected with it at the time because weddings are always stressful no matter how chill you try to approach them. Uh, things kind of sneak their way in. And this book kind of just centered me a little bit and, and you know, made me focus on what was important and uh, learned a lot of good life lessons through that that book. So that's kind of stuck with me over the while, uh, over the while. Uh, I clearly, anybody that has been listening to this show have uh, absent father issues from when my father passed away and I get like super connected and super weepy with like father-son stories. So I think The Underwater Welder by Jeff Lemire mm. kind of destroyed me in, in more ways than I was uh, ready for. Um, I'll also on that same note, give a shout out to God Country by Donnie Cates and Jeff Shaw. Lots of stuff going on in there between those two. Uh, what else do I have on this list? The Prince and the Dressmaker. Uh, I talked about this earlier in the year by Jen Wang, a uh, graphic novel. Absolutely, positively, just a stunning story about identity and and being true to oneself and going out there and and doing what you want to do because it makes you feel good. And if that's if that's who you feel that you are, that's what you should rock. And all presented in this just absolutely exquisite, almost Disney style, just memorable and amazing. And and I love it. Uh, Batman and Robin number eighteen was that silent issue mm-hmm. right after Robin bit the dust. That was some of the most powerful uh, comic book writing I have ever seen. Spider-Man Blue is also on my list. Uh, oh, that was pretty pretty crippling. Um, tell Gwen I say hi. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. Uh, 
the death of uh, the death of Ultimate Spider-Man. Remember when I read that? I was pretty. I was so. I don't know if I've ever. Well, I shouldn't say ever, but I was really into the event of that. Like I read several issues before to kind of ramp up to that whole thing and wow mm. that was a really really amazing ride um i should probably i should read that again yeah dude super super good um i have to mention the fantastic four because i don't know if i ever would have gotten into them as much as i did back in the day if it were not for bob and whenever I see the Fantastic Four, whenever I think of them, uh, Bob is always the first person to pop into my mind. And it uh, it's a nice feeling to have such a, a fantastic team tied to such a good friend. So, oh, raw. All right, I'm going to keep going so nobody starts weeping. Um, and just a couple of asides. Um, I have oftentimes um, some like. I don't want to say dark reasons for, for being really attached to books, but sometimes you read stuff during really significant points in your life and they just stick with you. Uh, Girls by the Luna Brothers has always been kind of a major read for me because that was when I found out that my first marriage was uh, was ending. It was that day that I sat down to read that entire story. And um, just the whole... The whole setup to that day and what went down was pretty epic to me. And so that story, uh, just like that person, uh, will always remain special uh, mm. to me, no matter what. And uh, I have to mention Sing No Evil. Uh, this ties yeah, into yeah. a little Talking Comics news. Uh, Sing No Evil, J.P. Ohonen, who is a really good friend of the podcast, one of my personal friends. We have a very, very... There's some cool stuff coming going down um, that we will share with you soon. So just be on the lookout um, for some news uh, from J.P. Hona and the uh, Beelzebub's uh, comic strip that he has. Uh, and then I think just two more Strange Attractors by Charles Soule with art by Greg Scott. Yeah. Dude, I love that book. I didn't say it because I, I knew you were going to say it. I love that book so much. I love it. Oh, I could. That book is such a great conversation piece. Like we had our, our one of our first book clubs about that and the conversations that spiral out of that and the whole the concept of causality and the city has a heartbeat. And if you watch the events and you listen to the heartbeat, you could figure out how it works. And there are people in the world that are manipulating the world so that it keeps turning. And I just. I love that story so much. That book is wild. Somebody needs to make that into a damn movie. Mm. I want to see it. Um, and then, of course, the crown jewel <laughs> of my heart. I Everybody knows I kill giants. Kill I don't have to. Giants. <laughs> yeah. Steve said I kill giants. Mark your bingo card. <coughs> All right, I said it I'm in dying. my brain. I'm dying over here. I'm dying. This is my last podcast. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on to our next question. Let's see. This one comes from AAC at Young. But what? Uh, I can't. What is it? Young, young blood. Young blood. Young blood. Young blood. Young blood. Oh, young blood. blood. I was Coasters, thinking young blood. I was like, where's this? Young blood. Blood. Right. Young blood. Young blood Young wants to know. Blood. I'm sorry, Joey. I thought you were. How do you think? How do you think current comics trends will be viewed 
and talked about in fifth in 10 to 15 years example 90s huge muscles and utility uh, utility belts yeah uh, <laughs> thanks for all the positivity yeah, is appreciated keep it up y'all thank you very much young bud yeah uh 10 to 15 years from now, what are they going to say about this era of comics, Joey? Yeah, no, I think this era will be looked back on as a transition point in a very good way. Um, I think that the last couple of years, there's been a very distinct effort to diversify, create more inclusive storytelling. I think who's making comics and how they're making comics is changing rapidly. And I think people are going to look back on this era as a sort of an exit from the nineties, huge muscles, utility yeah. belts, kind of isolationism that we saw coming out of the late eighties. Um, and I think people are going to look back at the, you know, late two thousands to 2000 teens up, up to the next couple of years as comics changing for the better. Um, I think that your the big writers that are going to come out of this era are going to look different than the, the writers that came out of the 90s and the late 80s too. And I think that's a good thing. Um, I think people are going to look back at, at the, the stories that are being told now on a more mainstream level as being much more dynamic, much more experimental. I think that your kind of iconic runs are going to be things that we talk about on the show all the time. People 10, 15 years from now are going to be like, yo, did you check out, you know, Gillen and McElvey's young Avengers? Did you read Hawkeye from Kelly Thompson? Did you read Poca? You know, <laughs> like they're going to, they're going to talk about things like that, uh, which is very exciting. Did you, did you read squirrel girl? You know, like um, Moon Girl. Like, they're going to talk about things like that as the iconic run of, of this era. And I think that's that's mm -hmm. very exciting to think about. Um, and, yeah, there are holdouts and there are people saying that comics aren't good anymore. But, you know, there's a wrong side to history. I'll put it that way. You know, <laughs> uh, more ways than one. Um, and uh, I think that I think that this is going to be looked on as a very positive era in comics even the bumps that we've talked about on the show in the past comics getting all that nonsense are going to be looked at as kind of last ditch efforts to counter a wave of of change that is good yeah and creativity yeah, yeah. yeah. joey i i can't agree her yeah more, seriously more good than 100 percent because uh i think you've nailed everything i wanted to say without having to say it i will add a couple of things, though, to say, not only is it who's making and what they're making, it's where they're sold, how they're sold, the kind of stores that are evolving around this new marketplace, the more inclusive stores, the more inclusive retailers who say, hey, I want to have kids in my store. I want to have women in my store. I don't want this to be the male enclave that it's been like it's some sort of ridiculous boys club no if women are 85 percent of the readers of fiction in the english-speaking world i could get some of them in my store would be nice and so you you start to craft an inventory that looks different and it's those new writers and those new books and all of a sudden wow we're selling books in trade we, we jeremy whitley's wasp is coming back because the trade sales were great moon girl sells more trade paperbacks a month than the avengers they're selling in bookstores and online and book fairs. Let's look at this again. And just as we talked about Walmart, Walmart before, 
we start to factor in a mass market, and that mass market means everyone. And we're looking at change coming. And as you say, there are recidivists. There are those folks out there who'd like things to be... Back in the 1940s, there are a group of people who were called the moldy figs who thought that the only kind of jazz worth listening to is Dixieland from the 20s. <laughs> and those and those beboppers, those damned beboppers like Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie were going to bring the world down around us because that was just crap. Well, that's modern jazz. That's where everything we have now today in music really comes from. So you talked about the wrong side of history. Hey, you know what? Read your back issues and the rest of us will move forward a little bit. Oh, snap. <laughs> All righty. All right. Uh, Melissa, do you have anything? What am I supposed to add to that? <laughs> I know. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. Uh, what they said. It's why I usually don't let Joey go first. It's why yeah, I toy man. with him. He can't ever let Joey go first. He says Between everything. Between him and Bob, both of them, <laughs> making us look bad. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We have a few more questions here. Uh, Noah, the karate GM, <laughs> what are your uh, what are your guys' stance on fan fiction? Have you read any? Do you love it, hate it, or indifferent? Big fan of the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Noah. I will go first. I have never read a single fan fiction in my entire life. Really? Nope. Unless it was Kamala Khan's in an okay. issue of Ms. Marvel, <laughs> I have never read fan fiction. However, uh, I am absolutely 110% not against fan fiction in any way, shape, or form. I think that if you want to take your favorite characters and you want to write stories about them and you want to share them with people... That's amazing, and you should do it. And hey, a lot of cool people have started out writing fan fiction and have moved on and evolved to become writers of tomorrow and so on and so forth. So, you know, if you have a passion for it and and you're in an arena where you have an audience and, and whatnot, and even if you don't and you just want to write from the heart, yeah. you should do it. You should absolutely do it. Um, but yeah. So that's where I stand. Never read a page, but totally open to it. And I think if you want to do it, you should go and do it. Bob. Uh, I have read some. You know, you go to a lot of conventions. You, you pick stuff up. You, you end up with actual comic books. You end up with little scripts. I've read Star Trek fiction and Marvel, so on. We've all seen the fan films. The things like World's Finest that Sandy Kalura did or the Spider-Man Green Goblin thing. That's fan fiction in its own way. Can I put something out that I, I'd love to see, but studios won't do or the companies won't do? It is the the height of emotion towards a character and the attachments, the question we just had. And so how can you not feel positive about that? And no matter how you want to take it, no matter what shipping you want to do, no matter what crazy mashups want to happen it's all in your mind all in your heart go for it i think it's great and more of it the better that's it <laughs> yeah i agree with you i think that like 
Look, I, I also have not read any fan fiction before. Although I do remember reading fan plot lines for X-Men 4 after X-Men Last Stand was dreadful. <laughs> I, I remember I remember going onto the message boards and being like, oh, people are like writing down like dream plots for the X-Men movies, you know? It'd be so cool. Um, so, I mean, I do remember reading that, but, like, look, I, I'm not gonna yuck on anybody's yum, you know? Like, you wanna have a great time writing stories up with Bucky and Steve Rogers having a good time? Be my guest. I'm into yep. it, you know? You wanna write? God forbid, you wanna write that Solomon Grundy team-up book? Born on a Monday? You Solomon found a Grundy, way. Born on a Monday, Solomon Grundy team Solomon Grundy Bizarro team up book. Please be my guest. I will read it for days. Oh. I've not read a single bit of fan fiction either. Wow. Never. Yeah, come on over to my side. I've never. <laughs> um, I'll be honest, it's not something that I'm super interested in just because I have this weird thing with like stories that once I hear a story or know a story, I just like it to be the way it is. Um oh. But, you know, I I will always encourage anybody who wants to read or write anything in the world should do it. Um, almost anybody. <laughs> there's, one, there's one person in particular I would really appreciate to stop writing things right now. But <laughs> um, I yeah, I think uh, I think, it, you know, anytime you want to do something creative and, and write things, then you should do that. And um the great thing about fan fiction, I guess, is that it doesn't really have to be accepted or liked by anybody, right? Because you kind of write it for yourself. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Nobody has to buy it. Just write it and enjoy it. <laughs> Get as saucy as you want. That's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. So, let's see. We'll do one more uh, for this week's show. And then, like I said, we will portion out the others over uh, the next episode or so. Alrighty. Uh, so this is from Argyle Eater, Sean. I just got around to watching Stranger Things. Dot, dot. Whoa. Good stuff. I've probably missed your discussion on this since I am very late to the game here, but I was curious to hear a little conversation slash discussion about it. No second season spoilers. I just watched season two, episode two last night. Well, Sean, let me tell you all about what happens in season two, episode three, my friend. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I um, I love Stranger Things. I love both seasons, even though I will not talk about the second one. It's very good. Uh, yeah, for all for all the reasons that that show is popular kind of meshes into why I love it so much. It's nostalgic. It reminds me of a bunch of stuff that I used to watch growing up. It has that kind of like Spielbergian, almost like John Carpenter feel to it at times. I think some of the characters are really cool. Some are more interesting than others. Uh, and I really identify with kind of the, almost like the losers club of Stranger Things that Finn Wolfhard and, and everybody else. I, uh, I was definitely that kid growing up at that point in my life. And so it's very cool to see something like that, that camaraderie among them and whatever. And uh, I think the creature effects are really cool. Some of the stuff that they introduce and yeah, it just, 
it gives me it gives me those good nostalgic feels and it's all wrapped up in a really cool package and i think it's awesome that so many other people have gotten into it too i know that sometimes when something really blows up it's like the cool thing to be into stranger things or game of thrones and stuff like that but some stuff is just good because it's good yep and and stranger things for me is is one of those things i can't wait uh, to see what they do with uh, season three. I've heard all kinds of weird things and uh, just looking forward to what comes out of that. And also looking forward to seeing where the cast goes because they got into that show real early and they still have like, you know, hopefully full careers uh, ahead of them. Their plates are certainly full enough between uh, Millie Bobby Brown is going to be starring in one of my uh, favorite uh, like YA series, uh, Enola Holmes, which is the, I want to say daughter or niece of Sherlock Holmes or something like that. She, it's a series of adventures. And um, I think that's going to be really cool. Finn Wolfhard doing the It movies is is fantastic. And he's lined up for a bunch of other stuff too. So yeah, um, I'm a super big fan of that show. Melissa, are you? do you watch Stranger Things? Of course I do. Well, I'm... I don't know. Um, Steve. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to embarrass you for a moment, Steve. Go for it. Oh, were... was I on the episode? You of... were on a fucking Sirens of Scream episode that was nice. all based on Stranger Things. Wow. And, <laughs> and they just legalized weed in Canada. All right. Uh, we will not be inviting Steve back to the show. <laughs> Good. A terrible time. Um, no, (laughs) it's 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 an awesome show. I love Stranger Things. Um, I I have a few Stranger Things shirts that I wear pretty often. Um, yeah, it's an awesome show. I love. uh, I think it's the first time in a long time that I've seen a show with uh, such a group of kid actors that are all really good. Um, and you know, it's it it's I don't know. It's super fun to have like to have um a horror show that's based on kids that's um that offers you so much personality you know the show really has it's got so much personality um and i and the funny thing is that that really surprises me about my love for that show is i'm totally not a nostalgia person at all um i don't i don't get like hung up on remembering things from my childhood i don't remember a lot of things <laughs> um nostalgia is just it's not a selling point for me i guess is what i'll say so but i just love the show based on its own merits on what it is i think it's super entertaining and full of great acting and um and just playing fun just really really fun so yeah right. i right prove keep watching stranger things yes and then go talk about it on the sirens of scream podcast <laughs> Yes. I don't remember that either. Completely forget that you were ever on your friends. Listen, listen, I said earlier in the show that we're lucky that I can remember anything. And I meant that. I mean it every time I say it. I have a terrible, terrible memory. I have a fantastic memory for certain things. But apparently remembering my conversation with you about it on the show is not one of them. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I, for what it's worth. I did have a fantastic time. You have a very, very awesome crew over at Sirens of Scream. They are awesome ladies. Yeah, Jackie and Sierra are amazing. Yes, yes, good stuff. You should all you should all go and check that out for 
Sure. Does anybody else want to say anything about Stranger Things and Rescue Me from this embarrassment? <laughs> I've never, I've never seen it. Nope. It's well, awesome. What Love good it. are you, Bob? It's great. Uh, but I saw Erie, Indiana, back twenty-five years ago, which is apparently <laughs> the same show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 We're spiraling. Okay. We're spiraling here. Joey, Joey, are you too scared? No, I love it. It's great. You love it? Okay. All right. Um, so that's going to do it. As far as questions for this week's podcast, we will answer more next time. Uh-huh. Bob, do you, do you, next week. I don't know if I'm going to be here next week. I haven't. It's oh, undecided. Well, well we, let's, let's segue out of what we're looking forward to next week. Yeah. We have, we have, we have all there's, sorts of there's books. There's big things week. to talk about next week. Yeah. We yeah. have an interesting prelude to the wedding issue with Harley and the Joker. We have Thor number two, which hopefully isn't $8. Marvel two and one comes back and picks up. We've got, as Joey said, a new Ms. Marvel that is issue 50 and issue number one of Modern Fantasy, which is coming to us from our friends at Dark Horse. And the artist on that is Kristen Gudsnuck from Hench Girl, who has been here previously, and she will be here next week as our guest host. Oh, yay. That's awesome. Hey, nobody else reacted. I'm doing my job. Um, <laughs> excited to have Kristen back on the show for sure. Uh, I am definitely going to try and make it. We yes. shall see. But... um. She'll do a better job than me anyway. She was lovely when she was on the show last time. And she invented <laughs> yes. the beta carrot, carrot team. team. Yes. I can't top that. So, no. <laughs> like I uh, said, it's my last show. <laughs> it's, it is one of those things. But, you know, we I, I started with her Hench Girl book because Steve and I were doing a covers of the week. And it was just this, this odd cover and the blurb for about this girl who works for a, for a supervillain, but it's a crappy job that doesn't really pay well and there's no health insurance. It's okay, okay, I, I got to read this. And fell in love with the book, met Kristen at, at the Eternal Con. And it's, oh, what, just a great person, a fun art style. And so now she has this modern fantasy written by Rafer Roberts, and she does the art. And she'll be here to talk about that, to talk about a lightning round, some open discussion. She'll be doing the show. She's going to be hanging in. And hopefully I'll get to see her today, time travel. She'll be appearing at Escape Pod Comics in Huntington to sign the first issue of Modern Fantasy. And I'm hoping I manage to run up there, too. Right on. Nice. All righty. Um, speaking of things we are looking forward to... Mm-hmm. Melissa, what are you going to be picking up this new comic book day? Yeah, I'm looking forward to some things this week. I bet I know what one of them is. Um, There's two of them that I'm very sad, but looking forward to, but sad. Um, It is the conclusion of Harrow County. Oh. Number 32. And also the conclusion of Descender. With number 31. What? So thanks, everybody, for stabbing me in the heart this week. Yikes, yeah. That's harsh. <laughs> Two of my favorite books ending in one week. Not good. 
Um, so, and then there's a new one coming out called Bedtime Games. Uh, number one, it's a uh, four-part horror series from Dark Horse from Nick Keller and Connor Nolan. Um, and that looks really interesting, too. Um, little kind of like, you know, cabin in the woods type story. <gasps> um, teens go out and, and bad things happen. <laughs> and it usually does. Yeah. Yeah. But it looks really interesting. Um, and I like I like like short I like a little short series sometimes with horror stuff, you know, because mm-hmm. it's sometimes they can tell a better story when it's kind of just like little bits. And it reminds mm-hmm. me of reminds me of the good old days of like the Crypt Keeper, you know, yeah. and things yeah. like that. Creep show. And... Yeah. Creep yep. show. Um, Tales from the dark side. So I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be better about that. The uh, the the uh, summary is uh, three friends start senior year with a bang by exploring the mysterious past of their school. But when before the night is over, their adventure turns into trouble when the kids set loose an evil that seeks to prey on their worst nightmares. <laughs> yeah. And it's colored by Kelly Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Wow. I'm Shay the Changing Girl. Yeah. Ooh. Um, so two things that I'm picking up, uh, both of which I think you would like, Melissa, uh, her infernal descent number three is on my list for this coming week. I'm also picking up Harrow County 32, uh, Blackwood, Melissa, if you have not checked out Blackwood, I think it's only a four or five issue mini, but the first issue was awesome. So, uh, give that a look if you want uh, I might check out Bedtime Games because that sounds like a lot of fun. I also have uh, Batgirl 24, Mother Panic, Gotham AD number four, Saga 53 comes out. Uh, I'll let Joey say this other book. Uh, <laughs> Multiple Man number one oh. is coming out this week. I'm kind of curious about that. It has been a little bit of a like a buildup to that as far as like ads and like tweets that I've seen and stuff like that. People... People I don't even know have me very excited about that book for reasons I have no idea, but I'm going to buy it. Uh, Thor number two, $17, comes out this new comic book day. (laughs) Made of Uru. Yeah, 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 I'm going to pick that up. Um, And Venom number three, because I got to tell you, man, Venoms one and two were hot. That series is really good. So I am definitely going to stick with that. Uh, who wants to go next? Well, it's just me left. Yeah. That's what I meant. Do it. All right. The book I am most looking forward to this week. Are you ready? Kill or be killed. Number 20. The last issue. Surprise. Final issue of that series from Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, and uh, Betty Brightweiser. A moment of silence. The last issue. That's it. Was there another book coming out this week that I was supposed to be really excited about? Isn't oh, yeah, The Wicked and the Divine! <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> no, Jesus is not a character. I just about fell out of my chair, Joseph. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, Ms. Marvel number 31. Uh, and uh, Did I say Saga 53? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number 32 are also coming out um and the previews put your pre-orders in folks that's right that's right buy some comic books they're good for you 
All right, Bob, do you have any closing remarks? Yes, we do. Our our friends down at Androids Comics, Jess, Jess included, are here on Long Island, Patchogue Village, on alternating Thursdays during during the summertime, do what they call a live after five, where they close off the streets and make a big street fair and do all sorts of crazy stuff. Well, the folks at Androids are sponsoring parts of the festival this year. They'll have a table where they'll be selling some stuff, hanging out by the theater. You'll be able to see all them on the, all these Alive After Five Thursdays. But the big news is on August 2nd, they'll be sponsoring a cosplay contest with two different divisions for grown-ups and kids with lots of great prizes, including four-day passes to the New York Comic Con. Which are Ooh. really hard to come by for days in, in this day and age. So I'm putting it out there, even though it's a month or so in advance. Because if you you people want to get your cosplay on, you need some time. Because I think there's going to be some really good stuff. And I know that one of the judges is our own Jessica Schaefer. Oh, bribery. Yeah. And no, she is going to be completely fair, but she's also a graphic Not if designer. Somebody so gives her, Bob, if somebody rolls up there with a dragon, they're winning. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> it just comes soaring down from the sky. He's yours. Or does a whole <laughs> I hate fairyland tableau. Yeah, that, that, could, that could win too. That'd be uh, awesome. There could be some celebrity judges as well. Just saying. So keep keep your eyes on that if you're here on the island or even want to come traveling. Knowing ahead of time that Patchog is a little nuts, you gotta get there early. But that's that's my little middle little thing there. Yo, listen up. If anybody cosplays as a dead horse and goes <laughs> up to Jess at the thing, yeah. I will give you a hundred dollars. You have to no, send me photographic evidence. No, I'll that. do it. It'll be worth it. It'll totally be worth it. <laughs> It'd be amazing. Um, not really. I'm broke. I'm not up broke. Okay. Uh is that gonna do it? Yes. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. And don't forget to check out talkingcomicbooks.com for news, reviews, and articles about comics, video games, TV shows, and much more. I've been doing some digging, and podcasts that you can currently listen to from Talking Comics include the backlog of other shows, but Talking Games, Talking Valiant, Talking Adventure. Talking 200 they just had. Yes, they did. They just had their 200th episode, um, which I hear was a lot of fun. I guess still have to listen to it, but there was a lot of people talking about it online. So that's amazing. Um, and we have our Ladies of Valhalla podcast that they recently dropped their first episode. Uh, you could check that out on the Talking Comics feed. If you subscribe to us, you're automatically subscribed to them. It's basically like getting an extra podcast um, just with a better cast. So <laughs> definitely go and check that out. Their next uh, their next hurrah is going to be Noelle Stevenson's Nimona. Oh, yeah, they're going to have a, a lengthy discussion uh about that so if you want to send your questions to them they are on twitter uh at valhalla ladies and like i said 
you can you can find their podcast with us so you don't miss one all right uh bob where can our listeners find you Tomorrow I'll be running all over the place, so don't send me an email. But after that, it's Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Joey, where can our listeners find you? Uh, at Joey Virgino. And how about you, Melissa? You can find me at Lissa Punch on Twitter and Instagram and on the Sirens of Scream podcast. Ahoy. Without uh, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> or with Steve, but he forgets. Never invited back again. <laughs> Um, I am at dead underscore anchors on Twitter and Instagram. So for Bob. Welcome back, Melissa. For <laughs> Melissa. You shouldn't like things because people tell you you're supposed to. Okay. Uh, Joey. I'm going to put a lightning strike sound effect here in post. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday. Uh, as always, I am Steve Say. Thank you so much listening to the talking comics podcast be excellent to each other do something nice for someone put something positive out into the world and we will catch you next time on the talking comics podcast to be a continue